What do you gain by listening to this podcast? And how about the other podcasts on your feed? Odds are you listen to the Think Podcast and many other shows because you get a mental workout from them. They help you think deeply about topics that you find fascinating. And more than that, they help you think about practical steps to take to improve your life. And they are fun. You enjoy the hosts. After a while, you even start to feel like you know the hosts. In a certain way, there's a sense of community in listening to podcasts. People share ideas, other people listen, learn, pass them on to somebody else. Maybe you've messaged a link to an especially good episode of this podcast or another one to your brother, friend, or your wife. Intellectual stimulation, practical wisdom, and community are all things that we want in our lives. And for many of us, I believe that podcasts, by providing them, fill a gap that is missing from our lives, especially since college. I remember my time at Grove City College as being the last time when I could really make friends super easily, almost automatically. And those friendships were often sparked by an hours-long, late-night, deep, intellectual conversation about some fascinating topic. Maybe you can relate. However, podcasts don't really provide that face-to-face, in-person community. Now that you're out of college, starting a family and holding down a career takes up a lot of time, but you still want that intellectual community and fellowship in your life. The reality is that authentic, intellectual community can be a hard thing to find at this age. But what if there was a way to find intellectual community in your 20s, 30s, and beyond? That is the question that my guest, Charlie Cotterman, answers in his book, To Think Christianly, a history of Labrie, Regent College, and the Christian Study Center movement. Charlie happens to have graduated from Grove City College the same year as me, And in this episode, we talk about the Christian Study Center movement and the importance of embodied community. We also talk about the four different kinds of study centers that exist and who they serve, and even how to launch and fund a study center. This episode may inspire you to start a new Christian Study Center, or it might just encourage you to invite a few guys over for cigars and intellectual discussion around a bonfire this weekend. But either way... I'm sure it will make you think. My name is Joel Sedecase. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach Bible at a Christian high school in Chicago. Impacted by my students' questions, I set out on a journey that brought me first to seminary to study apologetics and philosophy of religion, and then into pastoral ministry. As a pastor, I saw firsthand the struggle of believers confronted with questions of life that at first seemed impossible to answer and the powerful confidence that came when they saw how God's Word gives the answers and guidance they needed. I had a dream to spread that message and equip more followers of Jesus, so my family and I joined Crew and launched the Think Institute. Now, I'm on a mission to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by applying timeless biblical truths to current cultural challenges. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly, before we start, learning how to interpret all of life through the lens of God's Word takes a lot of work, more than just one or two podcast episodes a week. 
If you have an interest in the intersection between the biblical worldview and biblical manhood and current events, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, consider joining our free online community, the Think Squad Group, on Facebook, Gab, and on Signal. There you can join hundreds of other Christ followers who are also on the same journey, and we trade apologetic stories and strategies, we discuss philosophy and theological questions. It's like a huge bull session around a bonfire in your backyard or at your favorite cigar lounge. So check out the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. All right, Charlie Cotterman, tell us a little bit about yourself, would you, and the work that you do. Sure. Well, I'm a bivocational pastor and church planter. Um, my wife and I have been married oh, 14 years now. We have four kids, 10, 8, and those are girls, and then two boys, 5 and 2. Um, so we're in the thick of it. We just got awesome. the youngest, the two-year-old cast off his leg yesterday after falling off a bunk bed. So we're right in the thick of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, we pastored the church, uh, Oil City Vineyard Church, uh, which we planted in Oil City, Pennsylvania, a small town of about 10,000, very close to where we both grew up, um, in 2016. And so we've been pastoring that. And then, um, from 2019 on to so the last three years, I've been the program director on the project of, on rural ministry at Grove City College. So our goal with that is to basically help pastors from, you know, southwestern New York, eastern Ohio, western PA, northern West Virginia, in that region, help them thrive, help their congregations thrive. So balancing that. Very cool. And, um, you know, one thing that our listeners might not know is that you and I graduated from Grove City College the same year. Right. 2006. <laughs> it was which, a good year. It was, it was a great year. Agreed. <laughs> and uh, we were talking backstage. It's so funny because our paths really didn't cross mm-hmm. when we were in, and Grove City is not that big of a school. Right. So, but you must have enjoyed it because you came back. You're, you're at Grove City again. You're working there. That's right. It's, it's a good spot. It's doing a lot of good. Um, like most college students at small Christian colleges, I had the few times during my stay there where I was like, ah, you know, a little bit pushing against the goads maybe. Uh, but, but yeah, it was good. I spent most of my time there either in the library classroom or basketball court. So I didn't see a heck of a lot of people. It was pretty engaged. Yeah, yeah that's funny. That, that's cool, man. Well, I was, uh, I was on the rugby team and, uh, so you would have caught me out of the IM fields. Right. Um, rather than on the basketball court, you, 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 there's not much to see with me on the basketball court. Well, you don't want to see me on the rugby field, so I think we found the right thing. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, well, well, that's great, man. And you know, the reason why I had you on is you wrote this book to think Christianly. And thank you again for sending me this copy. I I want to tell you how I found this book. So I've been very interested in the idea of Christian study centers mm-hmm. for years. Here's the thing though, Charlie, I didn't know that they were called study centers. I like, I didn't know that term. All I knew is I, I was starting this organization called the Think Institute mm-hmm. where I wanted to train and to provide community and a venue for followers of Jesus and people who don't yet follow Jesus to discuss meaningful ideas and, you know, really, really hash things out. And I'd, I'd hosted some previous groups in the past. 
And, you know, recently I've been hosting these discussions with men. We call them AWOL. We get together and we smoke cigars, drink scotch and, and pontificate. And I started looking around. I'm like, you know, who else has done this? Who's doing this? You know, did, is this like Labrie? Is this like, you know, Ligonier? So I started searching around for study centers and I came across the consortium of Christian study centers. And I thought, this is, this is perfect. This is, how did I never know about this? Uh And then of course, um, I started Google, Googling that and, um, and looking on YouTube. And then I came across your book, found out you're a Grove City grad. I'm like, this, I've got to talk to this guy because this is, you know, this is your, this is your uh, area of study. So what led to you writing this book? What is a Christian study center? Just tell us, what do we need to know about this movement? Sure. Uh, So quickly, what led to it is I was a PhD student at the University of Virginia doing church history. I was going to write on a guy by the name of Harold Ockengay. But then when I was there, I kind of discovered, I I knew about Francis Schaeffer. My parents had read his books, but kind of rediscovered his influence. And then also at a university like Virginia, there's a very well-known study center there. And I found this amazing place that I had never heard about before. And I was like drawn in. And I said, I want to know this history. So as I looked into that history, I found, oh, wait, all these other histories I'm doing combined with it. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, who's written a book on this? No one. So that became my dissertation in the project. So let me tell you about a study center. I'm going to read the definition I have in the book because I think it kind of condenses it. Um, A Christian study center is a local Christian community dedicated to spiritual, intellectual, and relational flourishing via the cultivation of deep spirituality, intellectual and artistic engagement, and hospitable presence. Um, And then one other thing about study center, so it's a place that's pretty important. It's not just an online teaching um, or something like that. It's it's a it's a embodied uh, presence in in a place. And usually there's a a building or a home, you know, that's opened up for it. Um, But study centers come in a wide variety. And even so you mentioned the consortium of Christian study centers. The consortium is about 30 and growing, a little more than 30 now, um, university-based study center. So that's a specific kind of study center. Um, and Drew okay. Trotter, who started the consortium, lays out this taxonomy of at least four different kinds of study centers. So there's the university-based one, mm-hmm. which is a pretty significant one, pretty influential. But there's also... Um, destination study center. So we think about Ligonier like that. You didn't find yourself in Stallstown accidentally. You know, right there on purpose, right? There's nothing there. Right. Well, right. I did this little, yeah. Yeah. I did a little pilgrimage there. I did a little pilgrimage there when I was writing and I was like, this is where everybody came, (laughs) you know? Um, is it up in the the mountains? Is it in the Alleghenies? Where, where it's in the, it's, well, it's in Ligon. It's near Ligonier, hence the name. Yeah. And there's a set of little kind of mountains out there, the Allegheny Mountains. Um, and they're not big. Uh, they're like foothills and places that have real mountains. But mm-hmm. this is where like the uh, kind of business royalty of Pittsburgh back in the golden Gilded Age era would go and kind of summer and take vacation. So it's kind of had yeah. that history behind it. It doesn't look like that now. Okay. That's what it was. Okay. So it was a vacation spot for Pittsburgh's wealthy (laughs) families. Right. And well, and that explains why R.C. Sproul set up there, right? Because Mm -hmm. wasn't there, there was a wealthy benefactor, a woman who wanted him to, to come there and and set up shop, correct? Dora Hillman. And she, 
she said he they were all gonna the pittsburgh project and uh, uh, people in the cco um coalition of christian outreach outreach and stuff they were going to set up this study center to train student workers in pittsburgh near oakland which made a lot of sense and then doris hillman this like wealthy widow uh it's like hey i'll finance it here's like 50 acres come out here and they did. that's that's hard to say no to <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> i think if someone came up to me and said joel we want to we want to give the the think institute a study center here's a farm you know but you got to go out to uh i don't know what the you know woodstock illinois or, or right. somewhere somewhere out. i'd say all right that's right. Alisa, pack up the kids. We're we're moving. There you go. So some <laughs> listener may have that farm right now. You never know. <laughs> That's right. And feel free. And, and listen, That's if you right. do, the think.institute slash contact. Hit me there up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you've got destination study centers. Mm-hmm. You've already mentioned the college campus-based mm-hmm. study centers. And that's and I didn't realize that, but the consortium is all yes. uh college-based. Right. Okay. Right. So they have partners um, who are not, but that's they're not official members. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And I found out that Kurt Jaros, who's um, a friend of mine, he's got a ministry. Um, let's see. He's it's it's Defenders Media is his ministry, and he's got a bunch of other projects. But he's based here in West Chicago, Illinois, which is close by to where I'm at. And I found out that Defenders Media is a partner organization with the consortium, mm. um, w- which is interesting because, you know, it's just, I just, I find out about this yep. consortium and all of a sudden people that I know are connected to it. I feel like there's right. this secret that's been, you know, kept from me. Somehow. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's interesting. And, and just to say quickly, there's church-based study centers and city-focused yes. study centers. So I'll yeah. just make those four and then we can come back if we want. But what's Please. interesting about that way you're describing that is, that's kind of how the whole thing started anyway. It was kind of mm. like these folks that were like, there's this place in Switzerland. You gotta go, you gotta go there if you get a chance, you know? And it's during the sixties, fifties and sixties and people are hiking across places, Europe especially. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and so it's like word of mouth, really. Mm. But it was probably for them the same kind of thing where it was like, I didn't even know this was out there. And, uh, then one day you find it and you're like, where has this been all my life? Right, right, right. So the, the, uh, the church based. So the destination one makes sense to me mm-hmm. in a sense, because it's like, well, we're going to go out to the mountains. Uh, there's, there's a group, there's an organization based out of Niagara slash Toronto called the Ezra Institute mm. for contemporary Christianity. Have you heard of them? I haven't, I haven't heard of them. Okay. They're they're It's an amazing group. Okay. Um, Run by Joe Boot and uh, Ryan Aris, I think is is Joe Boot's kind of right hand man. But they've got a they, they do all the things that you talk about in your book. Like they do these uh, summer institutes and mm-hmm. and uh, summer camps and all these different things. Um, so that and they're set up on this escarpment up above you know Niagara and above the one of the Great Lakes. And so that makes sense to me. Being set in the mountains, being set up in the you know the beautiful right. uh, woods, campus. Based ones make sense to me. What's the deal with church based and what's the deal with city based? How do those sure. work? Yeah. So the best example I have of a city based institute is the C.S. Lewis Institute that's now oh, yeah. in what 20 odd cities around the world, mostly in the US, but around the world. Um, and it started in the DC area, um, started actually initially at the University of Maryland, but they moved pretty quickly into the city of DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, they kind of take a think tank approach, uh, but they're also discipleship, you know, but it's, it's, 
it's not they're the it's the hardest one to pin down quite frankly the city-based one you know but but that's the best example i have of a city-based study center so the c.s lewis institute in dc basically tries to be a study center for the whole city you know and whoever wants can come in um you know how successful is that I mean, they've been at it a long time and they've replicated and they, and their, their Twitter following has like 40,000 followers. So that, I mean, that seems like uh, they're doing all right. Um, yeah, I'd say so. So, um, you know, so they're doing something that's, that's resonating, right? Okay. So that, that fascinates me because KJ Johnson, who is another friend of mine, actually, he and I went to seminary together at uh, Trinity based here in, in yep. Deerfield, Illinois. He is the Chicago director of the C.S. Lewis Institute. Okay. And I've actually had him on the show before. We talked about discipleship. Of course, at that point, I had no idea about the consortium yeah. or the study center movement and whatnot. Right. Um, but it does, now that, now that I know that they're connected, you know, as part of the same movement, I can definitely see similarities to like a Labrie, but it yeah. just seems so much more decentralized. You know, it's right. like, like we're going to do this event at this church. Um, but we're not affiliated with the church. They're just right. hosting. You know, we're going to do this event here. And and that's where I think you get that city approach. It's like where, where we have these partners. Now, study centers do that, too. I was just talking to um, the director of Anselm House at the University of Minnesota, and he was telling me about um, just how many, uh, you know, churches are connected in and the hmm. whole a whole range of them, you know, and that would be true at almost any study center. That's what you want um, yeah. is this wide as a parachurch organization, you want a lot of connections to the actual church because um, that's right. really your lifeblood. Um, right. So, but yeah, I mean, that's why you can see them. They're not in it, That's what I mean. This one's the hardest one to pin down because they're not in a space that's theirs that everyone comes to, right? Unlike most right. study centers, it's decentralized, as you mentioned. So, it's a little different. Okay, so... The goal, what's the one thing that these study centers all have in common? I mean, you gave your destin, yeah. your, your definition rather. Um, what's the common thread that unites the college based, city based, church based and destination based? Is it exploring the life of the mind? Is it, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, is it apologetics? What, what is that? Yeah. You know, well, one thing we, I think have to make clear is, one of the ways they're all connected is really a shared history, right? They were more connected initially than they are now. So, for instance, you know, the C.S. Lewis Institute, other than relational connections, might not feel very connected to the consortium, you know, Um, and it might go city by city how connected they actually are. Um, But historically, they were founded by the same uh, impulse and even the same person in James Houston, who had helped be the founding principal at Regent College in Vancouver. Okay. know. Which also feels different, right, than the yeah. other study centers on some level. Okay. Um, but what unites them all, I really think, is prime. The biggest thing that unites them is this attempt to be holistically engaged with Christ and his his work in the world and the gospel. And you know that's what set Labria apart. This engaging of culture, this like almost Kuiperian, like every square inch mentality, yeah. right? And can, can you unpack that for those who don't know what, who, who Abraham Kuyper is? Yeah, was? so Abraham Kuyper, this statesman, theologian, politician uh, from the Netherlands. And, he, you know, one of the things he said is, Jesus looks at all creation, I'm paraphrasing, and says mine, right? Right. Um, and that's, I think that really shines through in a lot of this, is this sense of like, 
there's a real vocational uh, sensitivity and awareness that realizes that Christians can serve the Lord in a wide range of vocations because it's all God's, all truth is God's, hmm. right? So I, I think that, and one of the ways they talk about it a lot, and especially places like like C.S. Lewis Institute talked about this a lot, um, but it's head and heart, right? We want to be engaged with our minds, but we also want to be engaged spiritually. Labrie being like a classic model of that. Mm. And it's happening in community as right. well. Right. Right. So these study centers, I mean, you know, I was fascinated to read about the different, the ways that the college based study centers, they've done, you know, they do snacks at finals and they'll have, you know, students come in and it, it seemed like it wasn't just Christian students, but. Right. All, all kinds of students and they're coming and they're eating together, studying together. You, you remember back, you know, finals week, you're yeah. com- commiserating together. Right. And, uh, right. I remember at, at Grove City, I think. Yeah, fresh- for sure. It's a tough time. You know, a lot of stress. You might not be eating healthy or whatever. And it started with a bunch of parents that said, Hey, we have the study center. Let's feed the kids. And then yeah. it just became this huge thing. So when I was at UVA, um, during finals week, if you would walk up on the street and it's less than a thousand, uh, feet from the rotunda so right at the center of campus oh, like right off campus really grounds they would call it grounds i'll, I'll be in trouble at uva for saying campus ground <laughs> and uh you know you would walk up and you couldn't even get up the street i mean I'm talking hundreds of kids would be in line and be out in the street wow. having s- snacks and every three meals a day for like five days i mean that's incredible yeah, and uh, there's no way all of them were believers, and there's no way all of them were like regular study center attendees. This is people that knew, here's some hospitality. So, is there any evangelistic effort that's tied up with that? Is there, you know, is it like, hey, we're going to give them food and invite them back to this evangelistic event or, you know, food and a gospel tract? I mean, I'm, they're probably not yeah. doing that, but is it, is, or is it just, um, extending a, a hand of hospitality to say, you know, hey, Christians care about you, right. or, or is is there any sort of push in that regard? I mean, the thing is, is it's all so interwoven in the life of the place. And that's why they talk about at UVA and many of these places, like the study center itself is almost like a member of the staff, the building, right? Because it becomes so important because it's a welcoming place. They always have coffee on, you know, you can get a snack there, whatever. There's a room to study. Like at finals at a big university, you can't find a space to study in the library. Right anywhere right. but you can go to the study center you know so i think it's this n- knowledge that there's like open doors and the thing is if you keep frequenting this place a member of the staff is going to talk to you you know students college students that are really excited about jesus are going to tell people about it oh about yeah them, right mm-hmm. you know like and the other thing that's cool in some of these and uva is a classic example and this is one of the things i love about uva center for christian study is it's not just a community around whoever aligns with them, but they provide a monthly meeting space for all the campus ministries. And so they house the uh, campus ministries of the whole university in this study center once a month. And so they be, they forge ties between the university, so you know, the campus ministry. So like any leader from any campus ministry could come to one of these lunches and just talk to students. Oh, that's, that's very cool. So they're creating a fishing pond, yeah. so to speak, for the different ministries. Yeah, and just a sense of we're all on the same team, you know. Well, that's that's really cool, and um, you know, I appreciated what you said about they all started from a similar movement. Similar people were involved mm-hmm. um, in the starting of of many of these. You know, you mentioned now 
many of them have kind of gone off, gone their own ways. You know, I know new ones have started since that first generation has either passed away or moved on. Um, I've been thinking a lot, Charlie, lately about, um, about community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of the things that's very important to the Think Institute. I mean, um, one of our first mottos when we started was truth in conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is not just, hey, let me just broadcast to you a bunch of ideas, but rather let's have a dialogue. And, and sure. if we're both aimed at truth together, you know, maybe we'll find it, maybe we'll discover mm-hmm. it. And so um, w- the difficulty that I've found, and I've been leading men's discussion groups since about 2013, in bars, in homes, mm-hmm. in uh, cafes, around bonfires, in backyards. And, you know, I've seen there are, there are some guys who are very committed to it. And there are other guys who are like, man, I would love to be a part of that. I just don't have time. Right. Can we talk about the challenge of seeking community outside of those college years, after yeah. college, after grad school, you know, after you're, you're off campus or off grounds for mm-hmm. UVA people? Mm-hmm. How how are people finding community, especially you know Christian community? Yeah, well, that is a, a great question because it's been so hard, right? And obviously, COVID hasn't made it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think about that as a pastor all the time. You know, how are people in the church I pastor finding community? And some of them are finding it pretty well, and some of them aren't. You know, and I think of it as a busy father. How am I going to find community? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's why I think it does take intentionality. Um, and, and and there's some level of, you know, the church provides us with community that's like not homogenous, right? Like, so you have community of you, the church provides us with elderly, with young people, and it's great. Right. But there's also really a need, as Ralph Winter noted, it, 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 you know, between the church and then these parachurch organizations and, and that are more affinity driven, more goal driven, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, that's what study centers highlight, right? Is this, we have an affinity together about thinking well, about, you know, thinking about our vocations well, um, you know, and, and part of it, like the food and all the stuff that goes along with it, it's not inconsequential because like food preached a sermon at Labrie, right? Like the way yeah. they handled it, it was a pre, it was preaching basically. The way the table was set. Yeah. Ab- yeah mean, everything it said something about the beauty, truth and goodness of God and what yeah. we thought about embodied existence. That's good. You know, so it, that all matters, but I think it, if you can find a group of people, um, obviously in your local church, it's great. And you're not going to have affinity with everyone, but that's really good. So mm-hmm. you need community there, but you also need, probably a small group at least of people that have some affinities in the same thing that you can pull each other and push each other on, you know? And I think there are seasons in life where that's easier and harder, right? So right out of college, you'll feel it because all your best friends lived in the same hall and they were mm-hmm. just like three feet away. And life's not like that by and large. But, right. but then, you know, you kind of find a nice little like rhythm. You might find some people, find some community, then you get married or then you have a kid. Then you have two kids that are not on the same sleeping schedule and you can't take the little one out at night, you know, and it's just different. Speaking from experience, I can tell. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we're always going through seasons, you know, and then you think like as someone my age, you think, well, once these kids get older and out of the house, but then I see everyone that age taking care of their elderly parents, you Mm. know, and it's just, there's, it's always going to be hard. It's always going to take intentionality. Is it something that's worth pursuing or something? Do we just give up on it? 
I don't think we give up on it. That's what our culture tells us to do. Like just live for yourself and you and your screen. Right. But yeah. Um, right. No, I mean, and that's why the church is the backbone of all this, because if, you know, we know we can't that's give good. up on the church and the church keeps us in community. But I do think that even there are times where you can seek out a little more, whether it's within the church and it, but an affinity group or something, you know, so you're talking about working with men, you know, and, and if, and if, you know, people that want to wrestle with these ideas, that want to wrestle about how the gospel applies to how they lead their family, how they work in their in the office or out on the contracting site, you know, um, those are really powerful conversations. But they do take some affinity for them. You know, it's not just going to happen. Right, right. Yeah, it's got to be something that you seek out intentionally. Right. If, you, if you don't mind me asking, is there some, is this something that you have in your own life, is this something that you're pursuing at all? I mean, you, you write about these study centers and, mm -hmm. you know, these affinity groups. I like how you describe that. Is this something that you have personally been pursuing in your own life? Yeah. And it's been seasonal for me, you know? So when my wife and I were just married, we moved to a whole nother city to be part of an intentional community, you know? And some of that worked out well. And some of that, our idealism was definitely crushed. Right. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, like those things at 23 don't always work out well, you know, but right. Then we would we went through a season before kids. We had our core group of people, but I'm telling you, with kids, that core group's gotten smaller, and our spare time's gotten smaller. Hmm. Um, so now we have a, a pretty small group of core people. Um, you know, it almost feels like a COVID bubble, right? But yeah. it's our small group of core people. Um, but I do think that can even change with the seasons. I think there's going to be a season coming when we're out of diapers here at this house, and we're going to get into some new new mm -hmm. ability. Um, and I do think some of that ebb and flow is just part of life and part of embodied existence. And we have to be able to deal with it. Man, that makes a lot of sense. So, all right, let me pick your brain directly. Yeah. I'm, I am thinking about developing the, the Think Institute mm -hmm. into more of a study center. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking with um, – a, a few other men about this. Mm -hmm. uh, one is a scholar. Um, another is a friend of mine who's more of a blue collar guy, contractor. Mm -hmm. um, another one who's a pastor. Uh, another one who leads a, a men's ministry. And, you know, we've, we've all got this desire to start, as you put it in an affinity group, walk me through some of the steps. You, man, you've studied this history. You've studied the movement. Mm hmm. How how do guys like us go about starting this group? Do, does it need to have a, a physical space? Does it need to be owned, rented? What is that? You know, who, mm -hmm. who do we gather? Who are the people that we need on the team? You know, like Regent College, they were they they were made they made sure to recruit the right people. Right. What's that process look like? And here's the thing: what you find is it's so contextual. It really okay. matters on your context and. And what you feel God pulling you to. And, and one of the things, so I was talking with Drew Trotter, because I've, I've tossed around the idea of kind of a rural study center where I'm at. Sure. Because um, I love the movement and it just doesn't happen in rural space as much. And I, and I just wonder what to do about that. Um, and so I've thought about it too. And when I talked to, talk to Drew Trotter, you know, he said the biggest thing is get some people and start praying, which makes a heck of a lot of sense, but it might not be our first step. And just start <laughs> praying over the thing, you know. Isn't that and, sad? Yeah, you're right. And then the other thing I, I always recommend to people, and this has been part of this history, is start making a few pilgrimages. Mm -hmm. Like, go to a few study centers. Like, find the ones that you like, that you really believe in, and and try to get some of your team there if you're serious about it. Um, I think 
a lot of the stuff is like once you see it, you know what it feels like. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it's it's really powerful. Um, but you, the other thing is, and this is something the consortium I think does really well. There's no blueprint. There's not like this is how you start a study center at a university because it is like every university has its own ins and outs. Every town, every you know neighborhood, and that's where what's beautiful about this movement I think is it really sees us as actual embodied human beings in specific places. That's why I do think it's important to have a physical building. Like it's not a study center unless you have a center to right. come to, Yeah, you know, um, like there's tons of online content out there, but like, mm-hmm. if you want to have a study center, you got, you almost have to have a place that draws people in. That that's a really good point. You know, there are some online there are some ministries that have an online presence. Um, there's one, I think it's called cross to crown. I, I really, I enjoy their content and they, they have this, um, like a school of theology. And when I first started looking into it, I was frustrated because it's like, you know, all of our training, everything is done in person, you know, connected with this church. And at first I was frustrated because I think they're based out West, like in Colorado and I'm here mm-hmm. in Chicago and I was so frustrated. I'm like, no, I want to get this training. I want to engage with the content. As I've studied the study center movement, read your book and, and done more thinking about it. I actually really do see the wisdom in that. Yeah. You need to have a place. And that's one thing. And not to mention the last two years of being, um, you know, everybody being all freaked out, especially here in Illinois, man. I don't know what it's like in Pennsylvania, but people are, are um, at least in the city of Chicago, people right. are still very nervous, very jittery about getting together. And it's just really pointed up the fact that we do need to be in person. We are right. embodied individuals. Yeah. So yeah. you think that that's very important, the, the, the center. I do. I think, I think because that's where you extend hospitality, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, it, it just isn't the same online. It just can't be, you know, there's a place for it, but like in the book, I, I track, you know, the development at Ligonier, um, from, from kind of an in-person study center to kind of this basically one guy behind the, in front of a camera ministry. Right. And I'm not, it's not that RC sport didn't do good things with it. I think he did, but something was lost. Th- yeah, something was lost. What is, what is your personal take on that. Did he make the right call in switching from a study center to more of a media organization? I mean, I I don't know what I don't know what the right call was, but I'll say something was lost. Don't hold back now, Charlie. Don't yeah, hold back. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Hey, I RC Sproul was very kind to give me an interview for this book before he passed. And oh, I, wow. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Um, he's very generous. Um, you know, I think it makes all the sense in the world if you're trying to grow big to go down to Florida to a growing metropolis. But I think there was something about its origins in that rural place in the Western PA that's had its own little local history that formed. He was a Western PA guy, born and raised. You yeah. know, and you and, could and tell too him, right? It formed him, and it formed the place. And so, yeah, I think something was lost, and I do think there's just something about like. I mean, we, most of us feel this, like bigger is always better. It's American way, but like sometimes just be really faithful where you are. I mean, and Ligonier still had a pretty big footprint, even when it was in the hills of Stahl's town, Pennsylvania. Sure. 
Um, I mean, he was still on the, you know, Council for Biblical Inerrancy and helping to write the 78 Chicago Biblical Inerrancy Declaration, you know. Um, that was when the study center was still going? Yeah, yeah. So that was before he moved to Orlando. Yeah, that was in 77. He became the president. In 78, they wrote this Chicago Declaration there. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't I mean, realize that. Packer was coming in. I mean, it was it was pretty pretty cool. That's so cool. that's a that's always a good reminder. Those kind of places are a good reminder of me that for me that like God can do things even in small places, even in your yeah. neighborhood, even in my rural neighborhood. But the other reality is it was tough. I mean, they worked hard. People burnt out having people in their homes all the time. And this kind of focus on community isn't easy. It's not easy on families sometimes. It's not easy on people. And they had to pull back a little because they just couldn't feed all these people in like the workers' homes all the time and have them cook all these meals. And it was tough. Right. How how would you say that study centers, not based around a, a college campus, so a city-based or mm-hmm. a destination-based or church-based, how are they funded? nowadays yeah. do you do you charge members is it is it more is it like a country club deal is it like a fraternity is it mm-hmm. is it you know pay per event is it uh funded on the back end like you know like my wife and i were missionaries every all of our costs are offset by ministry supporters who believe in us who's, who've sent mm-hmm. us to do the work that we do how are they funded yeah it's a great question so donors are a huge part um and that's where college ones are you know, a step ahead because their alumni base is always changing. So, for instance, mm. the one at Virginia just is almost done with a $9 million expansion, you know, like unbelievable. Crazy. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's great. So it, it's, it's crazy. I'm not, um, I'm not jealous of that at all, man. Right. No, I wouldn't. You know, right. The Bible yeah, says man. don't envy. So I don't. Envy yeah. That. Money has no award <laughs> for us. Um, that's right. So, yeah, but I think, so there's different funding models. So the one at Madison was founded funded by a foundation it's upper house yeah with mm-hmm. a real estate guy who had lots of money and he kind of put a church in one of his buildings there was a church that meets there and, the, and out of that church kind of came upper house in the same building and and it basically is fully funded by this foundation that's a rare model though i think it could become more common as there are more of these foundations looking to have an influence on campus um and and yet not be right on campus um, yeah. for various reasons I think when I think of a study center, I just think if you start small, I mean, the Schaefer started just inviting people into their homes. Hmm. The only library they had was Francis Schaefer's library. You know, like it started off super sustainable, super small. And I mean, in some ways, Regents started the same way. And so many of these, it's just find a space, start with what you have, make it as sustainable as you can. Um, you know, if you can get a down payment, you know, you can, you're on your way. And, mm-hmm. and maybe that comes from a handful of friends, a few churches that believe in it. And it's always good to have churches behind it. It's, I think it's best to have multiple churches behind it, not to let it be only one church's thing, unless it's going to be out of that church, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the church-based study centers are out of basically mega churches. You know? Oh, is that right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you, you know, um, are you familiar with Michael Heiser at all? Does that name ring any bells for? Doesn't you? ring a bell for me. All right, he's uh, he's an author. He writes a lot about uh, angels and demons and the, and okay. that sort of thing. Um, but he's he's like this brilliant scholar, but he's based out of man 
I, I interviewed him on my show. I should know this, but it's like the school of theology that's run out of a church. And, um, you know, that, that sort of has me thinking like, where's the line between a church based study center and a church based more like a school of theology? Right. Like, so where, where do you see that line? Is is there a line? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, one line would be accreditation. Um, oh yeah, sure. You know, okay. and that's where a lot of study centers, that tried to get accreditation ran into some real hurdles. And I talk about that in the book because yeah, you, you have do. library costs and stuff and you have endowments that you have to have in order yeah, not you to have like, credit. Like half a million bucks or something right. like that. Like you got to right. come up so, with. So what's the difference between an unaccredited school of theology and a study center? I'm not sure there is that much except size. Okay. You know, because they're kind of doing the same thing. Um, but when I see a study center, it's not just a school. It is a place where you, you know, it's holistic in itself. There's hospitality, there are couches, there's a library, there's, you know, a good kitchen. You can have all kinds of events. You can host events that aren't even your own just because you have a good space. Um, you know, some of these university-based ones have counselors on staff and you can get counseling, you know, for free. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think sometimes in a, a church would have to be pretty intentional to make it not feel like a, inst a really institutional thing if they're going to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can totally see that. Um, you got me thinking with, you mentioned like, you know, couches and things. Like, and mm -hmm. I know a lot of these study centers are very intentional with the way that they structure. I forget which one, maybe it's the one in Virginia, but it's designed to really feel like a, a home, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, Big well, it was literally a home and then they expanded, That's but right. it started That's right. as a home, you yeah. know, and even when they expanded. So a lot of these people had spent time at Libri. A lot of Libri conversations happened around a fireplace. So when they expanded, they made sure there was a fireplace in every room in the library. And, That's and, what it, that's, yeah, that's know? what I was thinking of. And, okay. and because it's the same idea, like architecture matters, space matters. All of life says something about what we believe. Man. Yeah, totally. It's it's great to hear this stuff articulated because these are ideas that, you know, I'm becoming more and more aware of. Architecture matters. In-person yep. matters. This is why, um, I don't know your personal feelings on this, but I, church over Zoom is not really church. It's not the same at all, I'll tell you that. Yeah, because, you know, we're supposed to, to be embodied. We're, we're supposed right. to have presence. So, my, um, my, my question for you then, Charlie, is, and maybe we can bring it to a close after this. Sure. What are the essential activities that a study center needs to be doing, regardless of where it fits in the taxonomy? Um, to, you know, so it's not a school. It's not just, it's not just hosting classes. Um, it's not just a small group either, right? We're not just meeting for Bible studies. What, what, what are those essential, you know, sine qua non activities right. of a study center? Well, I think. It's pretty hard to have a study center if you don't study. You know, it's part of, it's part of the whole thing. <laughs> right, so right. If you don't engage the mind, you you, ha you have a ministry house, you have whatever, but you don't have a study center. So if I heard I have heard people say if you don't have a library, it's hard to call yourself a study center. And there are a handful of these prominent ones that don't have libraries, which is it does make some people say, "Oh my goodness, what's wrong?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got to be able to study. You, you got to be able to pray. It's this aura at labora kind of pray and work kind of thing. Um, 
And you got to be able to have a hospitable presence. You know, I feel like those are the things it takes into account. You know, it's a spiritual community. It's an intellectual community and it's a hospitable community. And if you have those three things, you know, an intellectual, by the way, I'm not just like systematic theology, but like engaging culture and the arts to the best of our abilities. And I'm mm-hmm. not an art historian. I can only engage so much, but like mm-hmm. we should realize that God speaks through this and, and hopefully study centers can bring people along who can talk about it in a meaningful way. Um, and if you do that, what I've seen time and time again in these is it's so compelling that it then becomes a fourth kind of community, which is an aspirational one where you want to recreate it. You want to tell everybody about it. You want to, yeah. because it's just, we're made to be holistically doing the spiritual, intellectual, vocational community. You know, that's what we're made for. I see that, man. I, I look at, you know, I mentioned the Ezra Institute earlier. That would be one that you might really appreciate. If you check them out, sure. um, they've got some videos on YouTube and Vimeo where they do like a tour of their, their center. And, um, you definitely get, at least I do, I get that aspirational sense. You watch mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, beautiful library. You know, look at the dark hardwood accoutrements in the, yeah. uh, you know, in the fireplace. Uh, it's just, it's, oh, it's beautiful. It's like, I want right. to recreate this. It's, there's mm-hmm. something, there's something, uh, true and good and beautiful about yep. the, the space right. and what they're doing. So, um, uh, so study, hospitable presence, spiritual, the, the spiritual life, it becomes aspirational. Um, if you, could you just elaborate real briefly on when you say study, that makes all the sense in the world if we're talking about college students. But imagine we've got a bunch of men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. What, how are they studying? Do we, is it a discussion group? Is it just, hey, here's a library with a bunch of books, come and study at will? Or is it a right. course? What is it? I think all of those things, right? So. I mean, what, one of the things, especially if you're not on a college campus, I think you might pick, if you have a bunch of, a few guys in the similar vocation, you do a study on what's, what's the gospel mean for this, you know, and, and you read about that. Or maybe, maybe it's not, um, one of the things I think there's huge need for is all of this vocational talk. And other people have said this too, and I completely agree for like blue collar type jobs and like trades. So like, what's it look like to have a session where woodworking, you know, like we just learned something Mm. about it, you know, or something like that. And we talk about like, maybe there's a a little bit of a theology around it. um, But maybe it's just like, this is part of like, being part of God's good creation that we know how to work with it, you know. Um, So uh, book studies, things like that too. Prayer groups, Bible studies, all those things. I mean, it's just trying to engage our minds. That's very cool. You know, what you just said reminds me of a group that my boys are in called Trail Life. Mm. You ever heard of Trail Life? I have heard of it, but I don't know much about it. Okay. So you're familiar with like Boy Scouts, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Trail Life, they hate when you say this, but Trail Life is like a Christian Boy Scouts. Sure. If that that helps paint a picture. So I'm the associate chap or the assistant chaplain at my boy's troop. So I handle a lot of the the teaching stuff, um, the spiritual teaching stuff. And um, it's really been fascinating, Charlie, because we've, you know, the boys have learned how to uh, uh, use a knife, how to carve a, a shape out of soap. How to start a fire, mm-hmm. um, how to, uh, you know, all, all, like how to camp. 
and uh, they're setting up tents and, and grilling and cooking things over fires and all these things that it's, you know, you might think it, at first blush, eh, not, not overtly spiritual, but you know, what's amazing is um, a, a good patrol leader at the end of the lesson will bring in scripture and say, you know, here's scripture that speaks about what we just talked about, or, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, um, talks about how God is like a consuming fire and we just did fire safety or whatever. Yeah, sure. You know, so it's, it's been very edifying for me because I'm, I'm learning along with my boys how to do all these things, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. something really powerful about that. Right. And, and, and the same thing happens in a study center in that, like, let's think about Liberty real quick. And this might be a good thing to end on. Okay. One of the things that happened at Liberty is it expanded the horizon of the possible like the imaginative horizon of people for what kind of work they could do to the glory of God in the world. And that is honestly what I think any study center should have as one of its primary emphases. How do we help people reimagine how big the scope of meaningful God glorifying work is, and then throw themselves into whatever God's called them to, which is going to hopefully be widely varying, you know, and then we support each other in it. Love it. That's that's brilliant, man. Good. A message that more need to hear and uh, and really embrace. Charlie, how can people get your book? How can they follow your work? So you can get it basically anywhere. Um, most uh, small Christian bookstores can order it for you. Obviously, Amazon, IVP, you can get it right from them. Um, it's now out in paperback, so it's a little bit cheaper and a little easier to handle. Um and yeah, I, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Facebook or something like that, I'm trying to, you know, I write every so often various things and try to just think Christianly about what God has me in. And there you go. And the name of the book is To Think Christianly. It's by Charles E. Cotterman. That's Cotterman. Right. Yeah. That's right. Thank you. Um, and uh, man, it's very, very good book. Really worth reading. Whether whether or not you're thinking about starting a study center, it's just a fascinating movement in church history. So if you like history, if you if you're into Christian community, you know, I would I would just I very highly recommend this book. Uh, it struck me almost as, um, you know, it th- there was a book by Tim Keller that came out years ago called Centered Church, mm-hmm. and as a pastor, that really impacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know what he was talking about. Uh, Charlie, your book to think Christianly, I would put in that same vein. It, mm-hmm. It's it's very uh, it's it's telling a story and it's getting into a lot of details, but it's in the process. I learned a lot of practical things that I can do as well, and so uh, so really fascinating, definitely worth reading. Brother, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, all the best to you and your family and the work you're doing at Grove City, and. Um, Maybe we can uh, talk again sometime. Yeah, sounds good. And same to you. Thanks for having me. Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. The Think Podcast is a production of the Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedecase. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support the Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. (laughs) 